0: Welcome. Uh, My name is Catherine Breckis. I teach American Religious History here. And I am filling in this semester for Anne Browdy, who's the head of the Women's Studies and Religion Program. Anne is on sabbatical. She's also sitting in the front row. (laughs) because she loves her colleagues in the WSRP so much that even on sabbatical she had to come and see this lecture. So I'm a little bit redundant, but um, but I'm happy to be here. Um, I have a um, sign-up sheet here for any of you who would like to be on the mailing list for the WSRP and you're not on the mailing list or you're not sure if you're on the mailing list, please go ahead and um, sign this, and uh, we will make sure to to put you on our regular list. So. So um, before we get started, uh, I just want to make sure people know that um, we understand that there are some classes that start at 1 o'clock. So if you need to leave early, we understand. If you want get, to uh, uh, get up and get more food, that's fine too. Um, we will plan to be here till about 1.30. So it's my pleasure this afternoon to introduce Chang Shen Shi, who is a Bhikshani, an ordain, ordained female monastic and adjunct assistant professor at the Dharma Drum Institute of Liberal Arts on Dharma Drum Mountain in Taiwan. She received a PhD in 2004 in sociology from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And she's the author of numerous articles, including a forthcoming essay entitled, A Great Man Is No Longer Gendered. Chan Nun's Gender Identity and Practice in Contemporary Taiwan. I want to read this article. She's spending this year at the WSRP working on a book, The Making of Modern Female Chan Teachers, Gender, Religion, and Modernity in Taiwan Dharma Drum Mountain. So welcome.
1: Okay, so um, uh, good afternoon and uh, welcome everyone. And uh, um, thank you for coming this talk. And I'm very, very happy to see like, um, since I come here, I make a lot of friends. And then also like friends from my, co- like my fellows yeah, in women's studies, in religion program, and also friends from temples, and also friends from this place because um, my neighbors, yeah, because <laughs> I live upstairs. Okay, <laughs> yeah, stay <laughs> yeah So um, and okay, and also thanks Tracy p- to like organize this event and uh, serve Chinese food. I know, if she put on the p- uh, PM say Chinese food, the uh, people will double. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, glad she doesn't do that. Yeah, so um. Okay, so today um, my talk will uh, um, will today um, my talk will f- um, will be about from the gen- uh, lens of gender politics to examine the transformation of a t- chain monastery towards modernization and the how nuns' status changes in this process. So um, and also how this transformation in a modern Chen monastery has led to nuns becoming social engaged and the leading important task in the Buddhist community. So uh, all this change will make significant difference from uh, women. Uh, nuns are very different from uh, nuns in the past. So uh, in the past is um, usually nuns practice in a solitary um, version of Chen and the sel- uh, Chen, and the southern had leadership roles in the Chen Buddhist community. Okay, so um um okay, now you see a a nun here, Buddhist nun here and uh, then <laughs> we'll talk about the modern Chen Buddhist monastery. So maybe you have the link like um actually I'm just uh, this is a case study and this case study is is my own Sangha, yes. So um so basically I will um uh, through this um, lecture, I just offer my ethnographic uh, study um, on my own monastery and uh, my dharma sisters. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it will be interesting. Okay. So, um, well, we have very, uh, in Chinese Buddhism, we have very, we have quite, s- um, well, historical records are very r- rare, but indeed some, a very eminent nun's be record in history. So like this, uh, chi, uh, qi yuan gang, She's a Chen master in like uh maybe like um. It's in Ming Dynasty. It's like 16th and 17th centuries. Okay, so yeah, so how um woman is be portrayed in in Chinese Buddhist uh, sc- literatures or scriptures. Um. Okay, actually, it's like like two 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 possibility. One is like, oh, uh, woman's achievement to like uh, enlightenment and also capacity to um, you know to do dharma outreach and uh, expertise in sutras exposition are all the same as men. So that's like very equal um, gender eca- equal views. Yeah, but we also have. Um, other um, very kind of like a misogynist rhetorics in Chinese Buddhist uh, scriptures. And uh, we have this kind of like binary and uh, the hierat- hierarchical rhetorics, something like, you know, like man's body and the man's form, man. So uh, like um, that r- um means like this kind of rhetoric like refer to perfection in other world. And uh, then we have the other side is called like uh, female body, feminine demeanor, woman or woman's mind. And that refers to imperfection uh, in mundane world. So um, well, in some scriptures we see this kind of. Uh, by binary and uh, hi- hierarchical rhetorics. And uh, so this kind of um, rhetoric, like m- use ma- male body and uh, male form and the men uh, represent superior, unbounded mind. And uh, then use woman's body and uh, like a feminine body or like feminine diviners, a woman's mind represent inferior, bounded mind or oh yeah, et cetera. So what means uh, transformation? Uh, transformation of the, no, the liberation process um, of like Buddhist practice become like to transform from the later to the former. That means to be, liter- to be liberated means like the female body form need to be transformed to male body form. Of course, not this life. So we just like woman doesn't make vow. Oh, I will be reborn as a male form next life. So this kind of um, or even like um, like um, like fem- also like feminine doesn't. Uh, it's not. It's inferior. So like we need to change more to like more like. I'm not, I cannot s- um, say s- masculinity, but something like male form. Yeah. So it means more superior and more, more like, um, not in the mountain world. So this binary and hierarchical rhetorics produce concepts like in Buddhist literatures, such as denying female body form, for transform female body into male body, juan nu chen nan, or no woman in pure land. Pure land is a certain like, one school of um, uh, uh, Buddhist scriptures, yeah. Um, no woman in pure land, yeah. So this uh, this kind of um, concept, yeah. In Buddhist uh, scriptures. And then in like uh, Chen, Chen Buddhism, Chen means like, uh, means Zen Buddhism, yeah. Then we have uh, another, like, um, one kind of ret- rhetoric called Da Zhang Fu, just transferred to, like, men. Zhang uh, Fu means men, and Da Zhang Fu means a great or virtuous man. Or Zhang Fu Xiang means the form of a great or virtuous man. And they use this kind of rhetoric to refer to spiritually advanced female practitioners. Also, ma- male, but also female. Fi- uh, male, but also female. So it's a term just to describe um, spiritually advanced practitioners, including female. Yeah. So this this kind of um, rhetoric is kind of problematic, particularly for a woman partition, How to how to see this kind of uh, rhetorics in, in scriptures? So, um, so particularly for uh, a woman want to you know pra- practice Buddhism and re- then read sutras and, and read uh, scriptures, and then how, uh, quite often like we need to encounter this kind of misogynist rhetoric. So, um, how to empower women and critically examine these texts instead of just continuing this kind of know, a little bit like self self-denial, self-hatred, g- and the gender discrimination against ourselves is in spiritual path or practice become a very important issue. Okay, so what I talk uh, so far is in scriptures, so and the literatures of a uh, woman and the image of feminine. Um, then we sh- shift to Contemporary time, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, contemporary time, like, okay, uh, it's another phenomenon. Like, uh, we see, like, um, in Taiwan, like, um, we Taiwan is there uh, very small, yeah. But, <laughs> but there is a very interesting phenomenon that just happened, yeah. Uh, in contemporary Buddhism, Taiwan stands out as home to the greatest number of female monastics in a very small place, mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, about like um, 15,000 and the most diverse female monastic sanghas in the world. And uh, also in this small place, mm-hmm. there's a very interesting phenomenon that nuns is outnumber monks by three to one, okay. So all these things there is unpre- um, unprecedented in Buddhist history in the world. So not only just numbers, but also and uh, but also uh, Buddhist women in Taiwan have contributed a great deal not only in Dharma outreach, social welfare, education, art and culture, but also the development of civil society in Taiwan. So um, um, Taiwan Buddhist now enjoying quite um, a lot of leadership in Taiwan. Yeah. Okay, so uh, how and uh, um, okay, there are several reasons for this kind of rise of Buddhist women leadership in Taiwan, but I just briefly speak about this part. Uh, First is about the uh, modern Buddhist revival in Chinese Buddhism. Yeah, this kind of um, modern Buddhist revival uh, or Buddhist reform, like see. both woman and the nun as the uh, woman and the man like <coughs> nuns and monks and as the agent for this reform movement. So not only uh, monks but also nuns need to get trained like well and uh, do the um, do the um, outreach and the ministry work. And the second reason is that um, uh, b- because the Taiwanese modernity in the post post war period. So you know the economic growth and also um, n- uh, compulsory education from government. So um, for the gender equality, all makes uh, and also democratization process in Taiwan all makes women you now have more agency to um, give women space to choose independent um, spiritual paths. Yeah. Okay, so within this whole Taiwan, put in Taiwan, this background, so how, and then the Dhamma Drum is um, located in this whole historical background. So it's a case studies. So, um, so we see Dhamma Drum is, yeah, looks big and uh, very beautiful, yeah. (laughs) So, um, So okay, so Dhamma Drone from like um late uh seven late seventies. Uh nineteen seventies, yeah. So at the beginning it's a v- just very traditional and a very small and a farming farming chem farming monastery. Yeah, it's not like this. <laughs> this picture that took like is in it's in past ten years. So <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. So um and then, uh, okay, I would just share some of my personal story about um, my first um, impression of entering the Sangha and uh, and uh, my impression about the dramatic transition of Dhamma Drum. For myself, I started to practice Buddhism and meditation when I was a PhD student in, in United States in New York. Yeah, So I encountered Buddhism in United States, not in Taiwan. So, uh, so after I graduate, and I immediately bec- you no know, decide to become nun and come, come back to uh, Taiwan and enter the uh, sangha in two thousand four. So um, I grew up in Taiwan. So, so I just studied my graduate school in New York. Yeah, and uh, and uh, at that time, I just entered the sangha, and uh, it's just. Um, Dhamma Zhang is already is a very big like Bu- Buddhist organization and the, ha- the headquarters is a complex of structures of like um, uh, 240 acres of land, yeah. In mountain hills of no- n- Northern Taiwan. And uh, this complex of structures include uh, a Buddhist seminary and uh, a Research Center for Buddhist studies and the monk and nun's quarters, a central kitchen and the dormitories for lay students and the volunteers and the offices. So it's a it's a co- in, in a Mountain Hill it's a it's a complex, yeah, different buildings, yeah. So um, though I was without my, you know, become a like um uh, just enter the Senga because I'm postulant at that time. So we don't have o- our own individual room, so we need to share a room with other two people, yeah. Three people in one room. So um, though I was without my own room as I had been acc- acc- accustomed to, and li- but living in such spacious place, you know, you can see it's, you know, surrounded by natural landscape is, you know, it's very, I feel very grateful, yeah, <laughs> because like, like live in uh, some kind of five-star hotel in in in, in like a, like a recreation place, so, <laughs> yeah. so but no refrigerator, uh, no air condition. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, and, uh, and also the building is kind of very artistic. So I feel very grateful um, uh, when I just uh, when I entered the Senka at that time. But however, just after a few months, after my monastic life starts, and uh, when in a class um, uh, there is a lecture by a uh, most senior, Bikuni means four of nuns, in our sangha, And uh, he, she gives us a lecture about her journey as a nun. And uh, I was very surprised by her opening sentence. Her opening sentence is, is this, as the most senior nun, I feel grateful to myself that I haven't left the Sangha. <laughs> 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 so I like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was um, very humorous, but also very shocking to me. Like the Sangha's first bikini will open, like, um, in, in the ceremony, like, uh, first ordination ceremony in, ni- in 80s, 1980. Could open the story of her journey in such a re- rebellious <coughs> um, and ironic manner. So, um, so at that moment, I could not understand why she opened up his like uh, her lecture, by this kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, saying. So, and then gradually, I r- understand that um, gradually, I know, like because uh, through uh, more understanding about the historical development of Dharma Drum. Okay, so th- I will talk about this transition of the transformation of Dhamma Drum later. So for me, I just say my, how say, my observation or, uh, about this transformation now is that, I think it's, to me, it's uh, the history of the establishment of Dharma Drum is a story about creative experimenta- experimentation with what modern Chen Buddhism can become and about keeping a commitment to live in a dramatically changing monastery, and about maintaining st- steadfast faith to the s- founding master's vision of modern Chan Buddhism and teaching. Dhamma Drum is founded by um, Master Shen Yan. Uh, he's a uh, well-known uh, well um, uh, Chan master, and also sh- uh, he is, he's is a scholar, and uh, he, he passed away in 2009 and uh, uh, and he is also the first monk has phd in chinese buddhism yeah okay so so i just divide like three period for this transformation of uh, damatra monastery uh, first 10 years like in the, uh, like uh 80s uh, i w- uh, in 80s i say it's a farming chain period and then the second like in nineties is like Chen, Chen to monastery Chan to change as a social engagement and the new governance and then the end third period is in twenty first century is religion as education okay from the start um Drum is uh is itself is a mixed gender monastic sangha, so uh Traditionally, like um monks and nuns live in different temples, and the distance is also deep, like separate yeah so um but Taiwan's situation is a little bit different, but it's a long story so if anyone interested i will I will share later yeah later yeah um, after this lecture so um actually in in Taiwan then we developed this kind of mixed gender monastic sangha. yeah, and uh, um the ratio For Dhamma at the beginning it's already, nuns to monk is four to one, okay. And then at that time, um, the division of labor in monasteries is is very just simple, (coughs) why? Because not many people like 20, 30 monastics. So it's just based on the traditional Chan monastery. So it's like uh, uh, receptions and the kitchen duty and the ritual affairs, so like um, three Three big department, uh, three like simple, but just just this kind of uh, division of labor. So we have a little bit new education, like um, people um, people do um, like uh, respond to education and outreach. Th- that's a new thing. It's not happened in the tradi- traditional Chan monastery, but at that time, like uh, it's a loop Some people doing this. Yeah. Okay, so how this mixed gender, like a monastery, run themselves? yeah. So monks and nuns, Sengha run their monastic training and uh, um, monetary guidance independently. So this part is still separate, but work and uh, uh, operate the affairs of monastery together. So, s- yeah, it's this kind of model, yeah. So then we see pictures, like, at that time, you know, people do a lot of farming and the uh, chore. And this, in the middle, that one is Master Seng <laughs> It's a Chan tradition, like, Elbow um, and the um, um, disciples work together for the chore, yeah. And then have meditation that time, yeah, like um, retreat, yeah. And uh, Master Master Chen Yan like uh, he guide retreat in New York too, and uh, s- some part of the United States. So also we see some some people from here. <laughs> These pictures, yeah, It's, is I think it's photos in New, in up in New York, yeah. And then people work in the kitchen and also some do some chores, yeah. Okay, so this is the um, um, it's a interview I done by uh, I've uh, done by a by a nun at that time, and uh, she described that uh, for the for the division of labor, it's like um, everyone took turns at all duties in the temple, regardless of whether they were monk or nun. Monks also worked in the kitchen, and nuns could be. Uh, elbow's attendant or secretary as well. The idea of monastic training in Shifu means Master Shenyan. in the Elbow's mind is that every monastic should know how to operate the different texts in a temple instead of operating in accordance with the ideological gender division of labor. Since our sangha wa- was small at that time, we were like a big family monks and nuns were like brothers and the sisters. Some monks that were sometimes not so welcome among the male Sangha monastics will come to the nuns' side, hang out with us more in order to take a break from their intensive surroundings. There were no problem raised because of the Sangha was mixed gender. <laughs> okay, so, um, and then the second period um, of Dhamma then sh- have a very dramatic shift and uh, th- um well first it's become like f- uh, transformed from a uh, traditional farming monastery and uh, to a you know very s- it's uh start to engaged yeah and uh, and also the uh, scale become expand very quickly yeah the 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 monastery yeah and the f- also followers so um Okay, so uh, simply speaking, is that um, um, well because uh, this social engagement, uh, the, the and then the <coughs> monastery like um, develop develop a certain kind of like uh, spiritual campaigns so or prote- protect the spiritual environment. So basically, it's like doing like more social service and outreach and the engagement in society. And they use Buddhist ethics and the mindfulness practice in modern daily life. So it's changed to like meditation only in Chen hall to like, okay, we like um, promote ma- kind of mindfulness and meditation, like mindfulness in in daily life activities. Yeah, and th- also because of this, you know, like, um know the scale like the whole mon- monastery and the followers like just like expand like so quickly. So also the the traditional way of division division of labor cannot be used in this new how say, new phenom- new new situation. So also like a new kind of governance is also be invented. So um so then at that time they um in the monastery um we make, uh, we call like Dhammadran Monastery organi- na- na- Organizational Charters. So it's uh, become a constitution of a monastery constitution. And uh, and then this kind of constitution just based on membership, yeah. Like like monks and nuns, are, um, I- everyone is membership. Yeah, so it's members. So, um, and the, uh, and that's why like uh, in this, this kind of membership um, model, so the gender things become irrelevant. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, that's it. And then still like uh, monks and nuns sangha are like um, run their own thing, like um, monastic and things separate, but cooperate with each other in the uh, organization, in a larger organization. So then we see like you no know, we see like oh a lot of activities like be big activities be held in in this time. So um so like you know like nuns and monks become busy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and do a lot uh outreach. And then the uh, resident also like um like expand to, at this moment, maybe like around 100 um, monks and nuns, yeah. Okay, so the third period is, uh, I, I, I will s- describe this as religion, as education, because there is a, in this, um like in 21st century, and then the monastery shift to some, like more, it's a humanistic turn of a, re- um, to something make really religi- transform religious teaching and practice into education so um so like uh what we do traditionally like um we say like uh, religious service or religious text then we will use something like um it's more a it's an education yeah okay so that's it yeah and the uh, and also in, at this time, like we have like uh, two, two semin like uh, also the uh, two institutions about the education. One is the seminary, Sengha University, training monastics. And another is university. It's, it's a secular university, Dhamma Drum University. Yeah. So like two two like uh, educational institu- institution is what are established. Okay, so this is the third period, yeah. okay like like myself I just when I join the same it's 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 like this so I be trained like in seminary and then graduate from seminary and then ha- I have uh, my own duty and then everyone has a need to assign a duty and then like do the service yeah and also do like uh, reach glo- out, reach out globally too okay so this kind of like uh, Dhammadrung, the this shift from modern Chan monastery to uh, what is this shift uh, from traditional to modern means? Um, like we can see that uh, originally it's a self-supported farming monastery and changed to a transnational organization, and then the for practice is at the beginning is sec- more secluded and then become like acti- acti- active participation in the social engagement. And then for the governance, uh, at beginning like division of labor in traditional Chan monastery, like simple one, and then become institutionalized and, the, and toward a modern organization membership model. And then uh, for the activity and the service, you, um, originally it's only have the religious service and then changed to like also have um, you know some like edu- edu- educational c- curriculum etc yeah okay so f- in this tra- transition h- the status of nuns in the modern monastery what it changed uh, it or uh, this kind of shift what what it implies it decreased the gender-based segregation and the hierarchy and the transition to a more gender-neutral organizational membership model. And uh, I- within this transition, also increased the women's leadership in institution and outreach. And social and, uh, and then women also have more social engagement. And, and uh, then is the identity, I think, also changed. Uh, gender identity. Um, I'm not sure it changed, but just some seems different from what we describe in scriptures. So, I just offer some uh interviews, yeah. I interview my Dhamma sister. whats What do you think about Da zhang yeah, <laughs> yeah, these rhetorics and then uh this this sister says that the idea of becoming a Buddha or a Tahang Fu has to be realized through cultivating the mind. It has absolutely nothing at all to do with one's being a man or a woman. In my mind, there is hardly any connection between gender and practice. Being feminine is great, and I like of that it personally. Though I don't find it an obstacle or a help in in any particular way, I think Buddha teaches us to meditate on on reality of all things, whatever phenomenon or characteristic man- manifest itself, just try to contemplate on its dependent origination. There's no inherent self nature within. Okay, and then another um, sister says that, Nan says, I think that the idea of da Fu is without gender significance. Women can be da Fu. The idea of Dajangphu is to remind us to be open-minded and to return to the original teaching of the Buddha, the ultimate reality. This reality, or the truth, was not invented but is discovered by Buddha. And the Buddha shares with us his finding to help free us from our own deluded thought. So Dajangphu's form is neither gender nor androcentric. If you take a look at Buddha statues, most of them are gender neutral, without much sexual sexual significance. Rather than the dualistic form of man and woman, Buddhas or Bodhisattvas embodied and manifest different pure forms in order to deliver a sentient beings. And then it's. Okay, uh, this uh, this nun says that da Fu does not refer to men. You could actually feel the compassion, wisdom, and the peacefulness from some senior monks or nuns, mm-hmm. or some who have devoted themselves to the society, or even the whole world for a long time. Some men are so tough and attached that they ask others to obey obey them, but the Buddha is not tough at all. Those who think that da Fu actually refer to a man lack of correct faith and the correct view. They learn the Chen pedagogy very superficially, attached to the form of appearance instead of cultivating the mind, which is really pathetic. <laughs> 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 okay, so I'm a little bit surprised their, their identi- gender identity, but but I think similar this way too, so, <laughs> so okay. Um, so that's the thing I find out this gender identity is so different from what I what I read in scriptures, like or it seems yeah, so, so uh what be described in sc- scriptures. Yeah. Okay. So okay, my conclusion is that um okay, we can see like oh okay, this uh the monastery like seems like uh uh Ninety, 1980s, until now it's like four decades, I think. Yeah, more than four decades. So it's a very, like, it's a shift, dramatic shift. Yeah, so this kind of shift, like, move f- from inward facing traditional practice to outward facing practice, that is social engaging, educationally oriented. And the nuns has become have official roles in organization that itself has modern institutional structures of power, actively participating in systematic chain cultivation and outreach and apply chain practice when carry out the duties of their official positions. And then like we see like in scriptures, this term is something like means men or means great men. So, um, but the noun has the new interpretation. It's, it's They were interpreted as a generic noun instead of a male Generic generic pronoun rather is a gender-specific noun. Yeah, and uh, this rhetoric refers to spiritual advanced practitioners, so who embodies attributes uh, such as wisdom, compassion, peacefulness, and softness. And it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's go beyond identification as either man or woman, and thereby avoid dualistic thought. Okay so seems it's a very happy and a successful uh, story but s- we still have some emergent issues yeah so first is that we see it's from uh, no, from like you know maybe you will have the question like on one hand like monastics you need to practice them you know the contemplation and the be secluded um, to practice um, our own. Mon- Monasticism, but on the other hand, in this monastery, we also need to do like uh, social outreach and uh, a lot of activities. So how to balance the, t- the the two? You know, the time to to these two like kind of um, you mm. know very different kind of um, mm, things It's something you it need to find a balance? Yeah. And then also about like uh, global neoliberalism. Yeah, this is the thing like happened in the whole world right now. And it's kind of communication of the, also the the um, education and the also maybe religion too. Mm-hmm. And then like also like then like in Drum, like we also need to think about, you know, um, because it's a modern institution and a transnational organization and uh, um, yeah, and the people want to learn, learn want to practice Buddhism, and uh, of hope those you nuns and monks offer something like meditation, and then retreat, and then Dhamma outreach, and then but something like we need to think about how to, you know, be careful like become some kind of like logic of marketing, you know, to avoid this, and then to to balance that. Um, uh, you know, just just not commodification comodif- of the Dharma exactly. activities. Yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> 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 Will you take some questions? Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, thanks <laughs> for the talk. So I have a question about the whole process uh, from you know the traditional one uh, and then trans. Gradually transition to this like a n- gender neutral situation. So it's like involving uh, nuns into the leadership team. Is that intentional or it just happened naturally? And then uh, so far, in terms of like the ratio in the leadership team, like the nun and monk ratio, is that kind of comparable to the overall ratio in the whole monastery?
1: Okay, I I answer your first question, but and then you say your second question again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's um. I think in terms of like gender identity, I'm not I don't think it's a leadership role like increase and make that happen. Because when I interviewed the very senior nuns, I think they just they just naturally think, oh, like women are not uh, women are the same as men, you know, pra- in terms of practice. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. So and your second question?
2: It's like um you know, in the leadership <coughs> team, uh here, you know, the Male female ratio is that same as uh, like the overall like whole population in a whole monastery Is the same ratio, the comparable, or still have a dominant ratio a male or female.
1: It's um I think it's it's just like the rate yeah, like the ratio of the yeah. Yeah. Like three, four to one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well
2: you mentioned at the end about like some nuns would translate that word, maybe that the, the word um, sorry, differently, mm. and trying to come up with different interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I s- just wonder whether that's also the case for scriptures or like stories of nuns and monks. I like to mention in scriptures, like would they try to account for those stories? Or
1: yeah, actually, because uh, the woman, and image of feminine in Buddhist scripture is so like a ve- multiple, and sometimes even very contradict to each other. We can have like, like some female lady, they are like, eight, in like very like a high level Bodhisattva or something. Yeah, will become Buddha soon or something. Yeah, but we also have this kind of like um, other scripture will describe women, like use misogynist tone. So yeah, so, um, yeah. So um, yeah, like um, like for for one like uh, for a woman practitioner, maybe yeah, like we read something like Miss sun that feel uncomfortable, and then <laughs> and then read another sutra, like oh, this like female ladies so or blah 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 are high advanced Bodhisattvas, so maybe it also can yeah balance or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Were any of the people who think of the lecture? Were any of the people who were responsible for either writing or translating, interpreting the um, the scriptures? Women? Did women write? Did they participate in writing the scriptures?
1: Yeah, it's a very good uh, question. Um, that's the thing because um, uh, the scripture is something be written in us. Like we see this scripture, it's already like. After Buddha's time, like five hundred years, uh, five hundred years. So within that, that is oral transmission by monks, and also even the scr- scripture itself be written is by monks. So, so so it's very possible. Like you know, this kind of uh, this kind of like um, misogynist tone maybe is in this transmission process. It hap- It's like be influenced by the culture. It's very possible. Yeah.
2: So I was curious um, about motivation. I assume that most people enter the Sangha when they're young. So I'm curious to know what kind of, well, maybe that's not correct, what are the motivations and what are the relative weights of the motivations that draw them to this kind of life? And I wondered how important the gender neutrality was for, say, young men who were interested in young women, if there was a difference. And in general, how important that element is in, in the push that. Gets
1: them in this kind mm. of mm. Oh in terms of young I think <laughs> 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 well compared to the Theravada Buddhism, like in Southeast Asia, I think women in like not only women, I think um, men too. In Taiwan we enter Sangha already kind of not young, like usually like after college. Yeah. So it's like twenty something. And but in like Southeast Asia maybe they enter like Twelve, yeah so um okay, um why they choose this path, yeah, everyone has different motivation, I think yeah, <laughs> so um basically just it's a you know full time practice, that's good, yeah, so you just live in this environment if you are if you want to practice Buddhism and uh, it's a environment, just you know you can do it full time, yeah, it's not like part time so it's is offer, monastery offer a, invi- a good environment for practice. And, uh, and uh, in terms of the gender-neutral things, <laughs> I think I think the leadership, women's leadership um, roles, and also this kind of more gender-neutral identity, that helps to for women to choose this path. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, we'll become more empowered, yeah, yeah. Man, um I think uh you mean gender uh yeah, I, yeah that's that's a good question. I never think about that, <laughs> <laughs> but I heard like the nuns from korean they think they think the monks in Taiwan are very soft, <laughs> so they kind of like oh your monks in ta- monks in Taiwan are so soft, yeah <laughs> so yeah.
2: Hmm. Thank you for your lecture. I I was curious when you started with the the first nun who said that she was lucky or that she was still um, Mm. stayed a nun. Mm. And so I was wondering, do all of the nuns feel this gender neutral or is it now that maybe younger nuns or older nuns, is there some sort of shift? And I was also wondering about the interpretation when one of the nuns uh, I quoted said that the Buddhist statues are all gender neutral, but Buddhists have thirty-two marks. One of the marks is a mm-hmm. so They're
1: not really gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious about that. Hmm. Mm, I think uh, the first question is, I think for that, our first Bikuni. Yeah. She she is. Um, what she said? Why she said that? I I think it's because the transition itself is so dramatic. You know, for, for the uh, in monasteries from farming, and it's sec- very seclusive. We have time to like, make, practice meditation a lot. And then simple life change, shift to something like activities. and uh, Well, we part of life still, like, we have um, routine schedule to practice meditation. But maybe it's not half of the day, so it become like maybe one and a half an hour a day, something. So, so I think this kind of lifestyle change Make people feel like I want to stay in this kind of monastery anymore. Yeah. So p- indeed, quite some people choose to leave um, when people fo- uh, enter from the first time. Uh, for first ten years, because there's a big shift in in within the ten the ten years. And but also it also attract uh, uh, draw other people more interest in interested in this social service to join the sangha. So. Yeah, and then the second question is, okay, I need a pencil. What's your second question? Yeah, <laughs> about the Buddha images oh. and gender neutral
2: or
1: not. Yeah, the, about the 32 marks, Um, one is, what is that? It's she's the penis. the chest penis. Mm. You know, I think my, through my interview, because I do something like 40 interviews, yeah. And uh, I think only one or two nuns, uh, and they are s- more senior, very senior, and they some they say something like, oh, a woman equal to men, that's theoretically, but in terms of, you know, practice still a lot of income, like, inconvenient part for women, blah, 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 blah. But most people <coughs> watch think there's no difference, and uh, and uh, I think for, and then they will interpret this kind of, you know, like 32 marks, all this. Th- they interpret it like, say, it's an Indian culture. Mm-hmm. And, or, uh, mm-hmm. ch- um, pat- like, uh, Chinese culture in the pre-modern time, so it's not related to now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. But indeed, I feel, um, when I, um, uh, when I share this, um, my interviews about gender identity with other, um, Buddhist studies scholars doing women's study in Taiwan, I feel they feel very, kind of, um, not so agree with me, because they feel it's a f- phenomenon just happening in Dhamma Drang because Dhamma Drang has, like, a nonce, um, like famous, like, like, they have, like, particularly high uh, educational background, so it's like, like, so that's why it makes the gender identities more, you know, more, like, um, neutral, or oh, etc so they will think maybe it's just because Dhamma Dron cannot represent like um, movements in in Taiwan Buddhism yeah yeah but I'm not sure yeah because for other we have a non from another nunnery uh Mary Mo I think she sh- she thinks the same way as just I interviewed people yeah yeah okay mm.
0: Mm. Um, can you say something about how the nuns at Drum view Buddhist laywomen? And would their understanding of gender neutrality extend to people who are not in monastic life? Mm-hmm. Some I
1: feel like through this research, I find out something like, I think the gender thing to me is, is still a I- more an issue in monasticism. And less the issue in in lay followers, or yeah. And uh, I think because in Vinaya, like Buddhist Vinaya is Buddhist uh, discipline code. It's something described there is uh, d- there are like uh, like we call like eight special rules. It's it's disc- like just set up the this gender hierarchy hi- hierarchy very obvious. But this Vinaya only apply to monastics not not apply to other, uh, to loyalty. So I feel it's more, something is more like influential in monasticism, yeah. And uh, for loyalty, I think, I'm not sure, I think, I think they, because they don't need to follow this Vinaya, you know, like for Bonati we have, for lay people we have another five Vinaya, but that not talk about gender at all, so F- five precepts, but not, Related to gender, and also, my feeling is that is is that. And uh, okay, um, but loyalty part is interesting because I I uh, I will ask some like nuns that when they do the dharma outreach, mm-hmm. like for you know, they they because for myself, I don't have much encounter. I don't encounter loyalty. Um, Every day in my life, because my work is more in, in the university. But, but for other m- nuns, they have they in are in branch temples. They just uh, meet um, followers uh, like every day. And I asked them like, how do you they think about? Do the followers have this kind of uh, like gender kind of dif- like divide thought uh, like in their mind? Uh, like they will more respect monks than nuns. But I think they, they, say, they say no. They say for, lia- for lay people, it's no difference, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I feel it's something like the gender's like, um, gender hi- hierarchy things. And, uh, for me, it's maybe it's more about in monasticism. It's an issue happen, yeah. Mm. Thank you for
0: your presentation. Would you be able to say a little bit more about <coughs> Um, this emergent issue of glo- global neoliberalism and the
1: commodification of Buddhism as it pertains to gender. Do you have I any th- thoughts about that? Mm. You know that it's a very interesting question. To me, I feel this global neoliberal the commodification itself is decreased the gender divide because it's something. it's become something I will use like ins- instrumental rationality. Something like, you know, you. You have the talent. You have the you know. You have the talent. You know how to, you know, guide meditation. Blah blah blah. You have the capacity. You just be the leader. You know. You just guide. Be, yeah. Just um, do this. Uh, uh, take the leadership role. Yeah. I I feel it's it's ironically it's but indeed I feel <laughs> there is this kind of rationalization region, in in this um, in this um. Neoliberal process, yeah. Mm-hmm. But another I uh, but another problem is that um when monast- clergy work become overloaded. So it's like um so like people like work to work too much. So so it's for women it's not also it's for nuns it's also not a good phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Do you have um, Westerners coming either for training or to um, become a part of your monastery?
1: Mm-hmm. Not even Westerners; people from other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we like we have different like in in like nuns. We have from different country, but mostly like from Singapore, from Malaysia. But mostly they are um, Chinese Chinese from like. Chinese ethnicity, yeah, because the language itself we speak Chinese, yeah. We ha- have had one, be- have had some before, yeah. But for like practitioners, they were because we have some um, brand temple here, so so yeah, so so uh, not here, I mean United States, so so yeah, so yeah. Okay. Thanks for
2: your talk. Um, I wanted to ask uh, you to elaborate a little bit more on one of the points you made at the beginning, which is this phenomenon in Taiwanese where women so dramatically outnumber the men, sometimes four to one or even more. Um, You had some general explanations, things like uh, economic development, increase in educational opportunities for women, and so forth, but one could imagine the opposite scenario where economic development and increase in like educational and vocational opportunities for women in the secular world would actually lead them to perhaps distance themselves from a religious vocation. So why do you think in Taiwan we see so many women with all of these additional educational and ec- economic opportunities going into ordained monastic life?
1: Yeah that's a part I, I just skipped it because time is not enough. So um, I think it, it's a uh, it's a historical moment. I think it's um, after civil war in China, um, in like post-war uh, post-war period. Like um, because um, you know the the monks choose to go to Taiwan. When to go to Taiwan is the monks not trust communism because um, there are other monks that stay in in China, but um, they think communism account is fine with. Will be fine with Buddhism. So, but a group of nun i think maybe a group of monks. I think uh, maybe near one hundred. They, um, they. I cannot migrate, but kind of more like flee, flee to Taiwan. Yeah. So, uh, because they think communism is a threat to Buddhism. So they really for those monks. I think half of them are very elite. They, they, they like leaders. So, leaders in Buddhist uh, community in in China. So. So t- they come. They come to this Taiwan, this new land. Because before the um, uh, uh, civil war, Taiwan is a place like maybe once like some like Japanese Buddhism. Because ta- co- Taiwan is colonized by Japan uh, before the uh, I- uh, 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 in before World War II. and then some Japanese Buddhism and some Chinese Buddhism, and also some we call like vegetarian sect. That means a group of people. They, they don't dress like this, but they practice kind of celibacy. But uh, pra- the main practice they do is uh, be vegetarian. Yeah. So, um, so, so then this group of monks they come to they came to, uh, they came from China to Taiwan. They they really take Taiwan this new land as a, um, found a place to revival Buddhism. Yeah. So and because this like mission of revival, so they see nuns as also the agent, not only monks. Because so few people, we also need nuns. Yeah. So I think their um, their their this kind of like uh, this kind of mind really open up uh, equal equal, equal opportunity for both uh, both. Gender to have equal opportunity to finance, get education, get training, and also do dharma outreach. And also, I, I think Thai before the World War II, Taiwan already have a group of, quite a, a woman, a group of women, they are vegetarian sect. Like, um, and then, because these monks come from, from mainland, and they, they just think, oh, maybe Buddhism is something that like looks more like, Authentic or something. And then this a group of m- women, they just become nuns, yeah, Buddhist nuns. So it just ha- it, this happened um, just after uh, post war period, just happened like the monks migrated to, to, to Taiwan. I think the second four ordination um, ser- uh, rituals uh, held in Taiwan, the second one is already more women than than the men, yeah. I think it happened like, I think it's like 50, 1950s, yeah, 57 or something, yeah.
2: <coughs> mm. Do you think the devastation um, that was untitled, the, that um, World War two had an effect on women becoming Buddhist? Was there? Maybe I'm confusing it. But mm-hmm. Was there was there trauma in Taiwan during t- World War II?
1: Okay. Uh, oh, um, yeah, but I'm not. This this question, I'm not. I, I okay. yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. My
2: understanding was that it, it was, and I was just wondering whether that in itself affected uh-huh. like people's women's. Um,
1: need, actually, desire to become monastic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read this kind of research done on this yet.
2: Yeah. Uh, you talked about, um, right now, the, the balance between social service and spiritual practice. Uh, you're working on getting that balance right. Mm. Um, and my question is, do some of the nuns and monks who feel more drawn to spiritual practice do more of it? And are the people who are, the nuns and monks, who are more interested in social service, do they do more social service? Or is it equal for everybody?
1: Um, because we, uh, we, try we want to do something, <laughs> no, like, institutionalized <laughs> institutions so like t- this kind of like um we hope everyone maybe now I think it's doing something like of uh, some kind of um uh uh well so far we cannot really uh, I think yeah it's interesting i think I think monastery right now we don't choose that way we sh- we want everyone just the same follow the same you know like uh, the same f- formation yeah so uh, in terms of like divide some people if you are more interesting do social service and uh, you, you you do more social service and uh, those people you want to do more uh, seclusive practice you do seclusive practice um, now we we don't follow this way <laughs> yeah so yeah but um, now I think right now for seclusive practice it like it's like we have like two retreat every year, and also one rain season, rain season retreat for one month. But for this rain, one month rain season retreat, we already kind of, uh, at the first time it held like um, five years ago, like not everyone can make it, yeah, because it's too much social activities, yeah, like uh, the, the social uh, Dharma outreach. But like in the past year, I think um, quite some people like, like almost more, like all people can make it, yeah. But maybe not everyone one, one month, maybe half of them are one month, yeah.
2: yeah. Thank you. Is, would you say Dharma Drum is a unique, isolated example of this evolution? Or is this um, now a model for uh, other places and other monasteries in the world?
1: I'm not sure uh, mm, it's a it's a question. I'm I'm it's a, yeah, it's a phenomenon. I I hope I I'm very interested in that too. But I I can just say my observation in Taiwan Buddhism. I think this a model not just happened in Dhamma Drama, it's also happening in other uh very big Buddhist organization in Taiwan, like Budalai Mountain or like another another two, yeah. And uh, like we we call that four big mountain in Taiwan. So it's mostly followed this kind of model. Yeah. Mm. About one <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you you, you think, okay. S- similar in some ways and different in other ways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She okay. This yeah. This person is like <laughs> yeah, she's she's doing the one like Chinese Buddhist like monastery based in United States, but it's also a transnational organization. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So what
2: do you think is the future? What is what will be the next
1: stage? <laughs> 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 so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> now we have like more than three hundred monastics. But compared like Buddha Mountain, they have like 1,500 monastics. But um, though we have not so much monastics as then, but, mo- but we still run a very big organization. <laughs> so like we have like, wow, how many temples? Yeah, like tens of temples around the globe. Yeah, so yeah. It's complicated, yeah. And also we have like, we have like university and the, uh, what, like branch temples and the uh, seven N- NGOs, blah, blah, blah. So it's so complicated, yeah. So the future. But I think this transition is um, follow, um, well, it's the Ma- vision of uh, modern Chan Buddhism, so. Um, uh, but, um, I think, but mecha passed away, uh, in 2009, so, um, I think the two emergent issues, like, we still, like, you know, balance of the practice time and the, the social outreach and also the commodification of Buddhism is something I think we are facing now, but just, um, but not, not, I, I, we are, I'm, uh, we are facing now. But I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm critic on that. So it's still, it's not a phenomenon I, I, I think I want to cr- criticize. So it's a uh, something we are facing now. So think about better solution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, one question about the woman's leadership. Uh, do you happen to know Cici? Ah.
1: CJ is a model. Um, uh, it's um, for the running the social outreach. They base on uh, followers, loyalties, volunteers. So for those, they they, they are nunneries, but they the the nuns they only, you know, do very like I think they are just like more like the first thing, like farming chain period in like in Dhamma they, they their lifestyle is like that. Yeah, but they are not doing farming. They're doing something, make some candles and uh, uh, noodles or something, like some handmade things. No, life is simple, yeah. But they, but nuns, uh, in they don't do much social outreach. They don't do social outreach, yeah. Uh, it's a nunnery. Yeah, the founder is a she's a nun. So it's a nunnery only. Does any of the outreach that Dharma Drum does deal with uh, the question of women's leadership in terms of
2: uh, speaking to other Buddhist organizations, other sanghas, or is your work really the first to kind of tell this tell this story?
1: Yes, I'm the <laughs> first one. <of all. laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I keep, yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. Thank you. so much.
2: Um, as you know, I'm working on the Baha'i religion. And yeah. In the 19th century, in, uh, in Iran, and the Middle East, yeah. there's a, a woman figure by the name Tahirah who removes the veil publicly. And in my research that I did on the Middle East, I found out that in the 19th century, we have kind of women rights movements in different parts of the world. The Seneca Falls in the United States, and a bit later in Europe, some movements starts which leads to the Sufrajet movement in, in Great Britain. So your presentation um, greatly covered the, the 20th century. I was wondering, in light of the 19th century, is there anything that has women rights movement or women figures Buddhism <coughs> that would be outstanding that you would refer to a bit earlier to the time that you presented?
1: 19th mm. century? Yes. Or is there nothing that... Uh, 19th century, probably not. Yeah. Um, I think since 17th century in China the Buddhism itself is is a decline. Yeah, so it's something like um, yeah uh so um and yeah, a lot of re- many reasons but there's a something like Buddhist r- some kind of renaissance in the early 20th century. So and maybe yeah, early 20th century. So um, mm um uh, well uh China itself um how say faced the uh, like like colonialism, blah blah blah. Imperialism it's start from like um nineteenth century, yeah. So um yeah, I don't know much about the Buddhism part and a uh, Buddhist woman's part, yeah. But indeed I think in this modernization it is like um facing the you know like tall China and Facing this, need to like modernize itself. This this process, um, there are some like women's um, not well. Okay, one is very famous. She's she's a fa- fir- she's the founder of the first Buddhist university in Taiwan, and uh, she herself is um, born in but but it's it's not uh, born in like late late nineteenth century. Yeah, so. But she very, She herself is a um, artist and uh, like um, from elite family. And then she p- become a nun, kind of like forty something. So and then she then she have a lot of resources. Um, so she she can make a university possible. Yeah. And then, then she moved to Taiwan. Yeah. So that's why she found the first Buddhist uh, university in Taiwan. And she she's a important woman's leader.
2: Um, so one of the, you know, shifts that you identify between the older phase and the modern phase of DDM and Taiwanese Buddhism is, like, this notion of being a transnational organization. So I want to ask you, um, would you say that Dharam Dharam Mountain understands itself, on the world stage, since it has branch monasteries in the U.S. and elsewhere, as Taiwanese Buddhism, as Chinese Buddhism?
1: or as modern Buddhism? I think we, uh, yeah, I try to identified mm-hmm. itself as Chinese Buddhism. And uh, But mm-hmm. like, how to say? Um, from a global, uh, okay, how to say that? <laughs> yeah, it's sti- based on Chinese Buddhism, but to ho- hope to, how to say, um, be part of the global Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, um, and and uh, definitely, we identify ourselves as modern Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes, why, I think this might be a hard question to answer, but I wonder
2: if you have any thoughts about how to approach the problem of commodification
1: as it's coming to exist in DDM? Uh, I think to me, I think individual monastic, um, it's um he or her, he, herself need to be very clear about what, what he or she is doing, <laughs> or oh, not doing, what the motivation they want to do outreach, yeah, I I think yeah. 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 So, so it's something very abstract, but I think it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: Okay. I think that's the last question. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much <laughs> for this really wonderful. Thank talk. You. <laughs>